The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Thanks for joining us. This is UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. February is Heart Disease Prevention Month, and a whole lot of experts agree that a well-chosen plant-based diet is the number one preventer of this number one killer, and the only way that's been shown to actually reverse coronary disease. And today we're gonna learn all about that. Hi everybody, I'm Victoria Moran. What a pleasure to have you with us on the Main Street Vegan Program. And I just am so grateful to all of my listeners. I love it when we meet up at VegFest and things like that, which are all gonna start happening again. I'm so excited. And if you would like to get better acquainted, you know, we have a group on Facebook, the Main Street Vegan podcast listeners group and that's a way that you can have some input into what happens on this program and a little bit of insights and sometimes I'll put in kind of a director's cut things that I heard from our wonderful guests that maybe didn't make it onto the show so that's a fun place to be Main Street Vegan podcast listeners group hope you'll be part of that well I promised you a heart savvy guest And I do have one of the top experts in America on both heart disease and wellness in general. And he is Baxter Montgomery, MD, a board certified cardiologist, clinical assistant professor of medicine at the University of Texas at Houston. He's a fellow of the American College of Cardiology and founder and medical director of the Montgomery Heart and Wellness Health Center in Houston, which he founded way back in 1997. He's also the author of The Food Prescription for Better Health, which you can find on Amazon. Welcome, Dr. Montgomery. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, and thanks for that uh, wonderful introduction. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. I've wanted to have you for so long, and I think our our paths kind of crossed and uncrossed, and uh, you're very busy, so I'm just, this is the perfect time. This is the perfect uh, February uh, to welcome you to the program. So, you know, we talked a lot in the introduction. You're a cardiologist. You're a professor of cardiology, and everybody Mm -hmm. knows that's a heart doctor, but 
it's curious to me that in the plant-based world, when we think about, you know, the people who have shown that a plant-based diet can reverse heart disease, Dr. Ornish, Dr. Esselstyn, neither one of them is a cardiologist. So tell us about cardiology and uh, why we should know about that specialty. It's a great question. You know, cardio cardiology, and as we often refer to cardiovascular disease, uh, deals with the heart and blood vessels. So essentially it deals with abnormalities or disease of the heart and blood vessels. Uh, and so it's kind of, it's a broad area uh, that's covered. And in fact, uh, the area of cardiovascular disease has many sub areas. For instance, my specific uh, training and sub sub specialty was not only general cardiology, of course, every cardiologist starts off with internal medicine. So we train and manage disease of the entire body. Then we go do a specialty training, which is our subspecialty training because internal medicine is our specialty training. And subspecialty training is cardiology or cardiovascular diseases. And then we may go into different areas. Uh, I'm a cardiac electrophysiologist. So it deals with electrical disorders of the heart in addition to some broad areas. There are other areas such as uh, heart failure, structural heart disease, or deal with valvular disorders. And then some uh, cardiologists may do more with the vascular structures than they would do the main heart. So it's a broad area that deals with diseases of the cardiovascular system. Uh, and then there are uh, sub areas that uh, many of us will focus on in addition to covering the general cardiology area. So my subspecialty area was electrophysiology, which deals with electrical disorders of the heart. Uh, we deal with individuals with sudden cardiac arrest or arrhythmias, like both Parkinson White or you know, atrial fibrillation. Uh, there may be other cardiologists that uh, may focus uh, on areas such as structural heart disease, which they may do uh, valve replacements using catheters. Uh, others deal with vascular structure diseases such as peripheral vascular disease, the carotids or lower extremity arteries. Uh, and then there uh, are cardiologists that may focus on areas that are diagnostic, primarily in nature, in addition to general cardiologists, such as uh, nuclear medicine, uh, MR, cardiac MRI, and these other areas. Uh, and then, of course, the heart failure specialist that deals with patients with advanced heart failure who may need transplants, uh, who may need uh, left ventricular assist devices, they're managing those patients who are at the, the, the tip of that area. So all of us cover the broad scope of cardiovascular disease, and then many of us will have areas that we will you know, focus on with patients with, you know, severe uh, disorders in those areas. And mine is electrical plus heart failure as well. So I think for lay people who, who eat um, plant exclusive diets, we just kind of generally say, oh yeah, we eat in a way that's really good for our hearts. We eat in a way that prevents heart disease, but you've described so many different areas. So help us understand what kinds of heart disease are we preventing this heart disease prevention month uh, by eating a, a well-chosen whole food plant-based diet? Well, you know, that's a great question because what, what, what I'll say is, and, and I'll even go you know, farther back into my internal medicine perspective, because it's not only, are you, if you're eating a healthy diet, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to broad label as a healthy diet, uh, then you're, you're improving your chances against, you know, any disease because cardiovascular disease is an outward manifestation of an underlying process that I like to describe as uh, biochemical imbalances and physiological imbalances. So if you have, you know, things that contribute to biological or biochemical or physiological imbalances, then you have a chance of manifesting 
uh, one of a number of types of disease. Cardiovascular disease is uh, one of those categories. You can have an endocrinological disease. You can have you know, a, a malignant disease or an inflammatory disease. So your, your manifestation of a particular disease type or particular disease types uh, depends on your overall lifestyle and the, the worse your lifestyle is, including your eating lifestyle, the more likely you're gonna manifest your genetic predisposition to one or more disease states. Uh, the healthier your overall lifestyle, especially eating lifestyle, the less you're likely to manifest your underlying genetic predisposition to one or more disease states, and the more likely you are to live a healthy disease-free life. So to answer your question about you know, preventing heart disease, you're really giving yourself a chance to prevent all areas of heart disease, whether it's coronary disease that deals with blockage of plaque in the arteries in the heart, or vascular disease, uh, peripheral vascular disease deals with blockage of plaque in the arteries in the peripheries, such as the neck and the carotids, the lower extremities, or heart failure, which is a structural problem, valvular disease. So you're really sort of collectively preventing all of those if you're eating, if you're maintaining an overall healthy lifestyle, particularly a healthy nutritional lifestyle. So some people, I, I had put out a, a little bit on social media that you were going to be coming on, and uh, people were asking about atrial fibrillation. I think there are lots of TV commercials about that now, and all of a sudden it's something that people are thinking about and maybe worried about. So what's that, and does diet have anything to do with it? That's a great question. So atrial fibrillation is uh, an abnormality of an electrical abnormality of the upper chamber is it's, 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 I will say the most common arrhythmia that we deal with in cardiology and electrophysiology in general. And essentially what it is, is a, a situation where your electrical system is in disarray. Normally the normal electrical system consists of uh, uh, your God-given pacemaker, which starts in the sinus node and it sends electrical signals to both upper chambers. We call them the atria, the right and left atrium. Uh, and it also then sends that electrical signal then to the lower chambers, which are the ventricles. So a normal electrical conduction system allows for a normal electrical signaling through the heart, which allows for organized contraction of the heart. You get the upper chambers contract first, the lower chambers contract second, and, and you have orderly uh, flow through the chambers of the heart. When the electrical system is in disarray, it can uh, impair the normal mechanical flow. So atrial fibrillation is a condition where the electrical signal through the atria, instead of being a normal uh, conduction, uh, uh, organized conduction through the atrium, the uh, conduction becomes in disarray. And so you don't have one electrical circuit going through, but you have infinitely many electrical circuits that are firing in different locations, and they are randomly sending electrical signals to the lower chamber in a disorganized, rapid way. So what happens is that instead of the atria, the upper chamber is contracting like this in an organized fashion, they're just fibrillating. And so when they're fibrillating, the blood inside is just sloshing around and randomly moving across. So that predisposed to clot formation. And that also predisposed to uh, impaired circulation because if you have fibrillating upper chambers, the flow from the upper to the lower chamber is impaired. So therefore the flow overall through the heart and out of the heart is impaired as well. So your total circulation of flow from the heart is impaired. So your total, what we call cardiac output, our total circulation through the body can be impaired with atrial fibrillation. So you have a circulatory impairment when the atria are fibrillating. Then you have a formation of clot 
potentially they're predisposed to stroke or predisposed to some clot embolizing just the heart, causing a heart attack or some other part of the body. So, um, so atrial fibrillation is an abnormal heart condition, uh, excuse me, abnormal electrical condition in the upper chambers that impaired circulation through abnormal flow from the upper chambers to the lower chambers, and it predisposed to clot formation. And it's a rhythm disorder that we like to get under control to allow the heart to contract normally. I see. And you, you also mentioned heart failure. And I think a lot of people have had elders in their families uh, leave this earth with that condition. So can you describe that one? Yeah, heart failure um, and the, the classic definition of heart failure. Well, there are many classic definitions or many ways to describe it. Uh, the, the way I like to describe it is the inability of the heart to circulate blood commiserate to the body's needs. So for instance, um, we have uh, one form of heart failure that we call systolic heart failure when the heart is weak, so it doesn't contract normally. Uh, and, and, and when I say weak, we're referring to the lower chambers, particularly the left ventricle, because that sends blood to the total systemic part of the body. Uh, so when we talk about low ejection fraction or low EF, may, many of your listeners may be familiar with that uh, terminology and phraseology. Uh, we're talking about the left chamber, the left lower chamber, the left ventricle. So essentially what happens is that the normal uh, ejection fraction, which is the percentage of blood that the heart ejects with each contraction, the normal ejection fraction is around 55 to 65%, at least no lower than 50%. And so if it's below that, or at least below 45%, then we call that systolic heart failure. That means the heart is weak and it's not contracting normally. But there's another form of heart failure when the heart doesn't relax normally. So the heart can be weak or the heart can be stiff or it can be weak and stiff. So the stiff heart that contracts normally, we call that diastolic heart failure. And so a stiff heart doesn't feel and allow enough fluid. And so if you think of a stiff heart as a, a very thick wall balloon. So if you go to a party shop and get a regular balloon, you inflate it uh, with your mouth, you can probably blow it up easily. But let's say you go to a tire shop and they make a special balloon lose, using tire inner tube and you try to inflate that with a very thick rubber, you have a hard time inflating that. That's diastolic heart failure because that's this stiff and it requires more pressure and less filling. So in summary, a weak heart will not eject enough blood out for your body's need, a stiff heart will not allow enough blood to fill to be ejected out for your body's needs. And you can have a combination, a stiff heart and a weak heart, uh, where you don't eject enough or fill enough. So heart failure, again, is the inadequate ability of the heart to send blood to your body's needs. So if you try to climb stairs, and you need circulation of, say, five liters per minute, and your heart can only circulate as fast as two liters per minute, then you're not going to be able to climb stairs as fast as you normally need or are able to because you can't circulate your blood fast enough for your lower extremities to work effectively, your lungs to work effectively, et cetera. So you may take a longer period of time to climb those stairs. If you need to walk a block and you need to get your circulation up to four liters a minute to walk a block, then and you can only get up to three liters a minute, then it's going to take you longer to walk a block or you may have to stop uh, part of the way. So the symptoms of heart failure vary. Those are the, some common symptoms of fatigue and inability to exert yourself. But the inability to circulate blood, it can become so extreme that you don't circulate uh, blood adequately to your kidneys, to your liver, to your brain, to your GI tract, and other organs. So heart failure people in advanced stages 
can have symptoms of uh, GI discomfort or indigestion because they're not able to uh, uh, perfuse their GI system. So they're not able to absorb their food and digest the food or the medications. They're not able to circulate to the kidney so they may retain more sodium and retain more fluid. That creates swelling and edema. They're not able to circulate uh, blood fast enough to relieve congestion from the liver. So they start to develop liver failure. So heart failure can have a multi-organ dysfunction uh, appearance in addition to just symptoms of shortness of breath. And not to mention, uh, if you're not circulating to your brain adequately, you can start to have you know, brain fog and some mental clarity problems with heart failure as well. Wow. And it, it's complicated, I think, for the layperson because some of those symptoms that you talked about also seem to be the symptoms of the coronary and vascular kind of heart disease, shortness of breath and that kind of thing. And that's correct. And the thing is that people don't come in with isolated problems. So when I see a patient with heart failure, they also have arthritis, inflammatory disease. They may have, you know, primary liver congestion or dysfunction due to many medications on or the food they're taking in. And they may have primary kidney problems due to other problems like hypertension and diabetes, in addition to the heart failure and brain problems may be due to circulatory problems in addition to heart failure. So you're dealing with a myriad of, of, of problems uh, and, and patients coming with multifunction disorder, uh, multifunction, dis uh, multi-organ dysfunction, and many of them are on multiple medications because we're treating the symptoms of them. And so polypharmacy is a disease in and of itself. So that's why we like to use when I see patients like this, we like to use an approach that utilizes an acute nutritional detox. What that does is that it treats the body systemically and it treats the body in a multi-organ fashion. So now we're treating a heart failure, we're treating a liver dysfunction, kidney dysfunction, et cetera. And we're allowing ourselves to wean the medications because they're not having to, for instance, the cholesterol is better on a better diet then they can come off the cholesterol medicine, which may be impairing the liver which, you know, may be impaired because of the heart failure, et cetera, et cetera. I love that term, acute nutritional detox. So you're not just talking about, well, let's eat better and be healthier as a general kind of thing. We're talking food as medicine, you and Hippocrates. That's exactly right. In fact, we've had publications and I'm actually getting ready to, to enroll patients for another study. Uh, and we're looking at patients with coronary disease, our history of coronary disease, where we're going to actually look at a nutritional intervention and, and look at the biochemical effects as well as the clinical effects, uh, which we've done. We have publication, look at some of the biochemical effects. We're going to look at more in-depth intracellular mechanism. We're teaming up with a biochemistry lab, a nutritional biochemistry lab at Georgia State University. Uh, and we'll be kicking off that study uh, very soon. I'm excited about the, the potential indications of findings that we, we, we look forward to seeing. We'll be comparing our intervention to the Mediterranean diet which uh, is gonna be um, a great control source. But to the point that you made, acute nutrition intervention, what I'd like to do is describe our regimen is not do. a matter of putting people on a diet, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Our approach is the manipulation of food such that we try to bring about a certain biochemical and physiological outcome in someone who's acutely ill. And it's slightly different than saying, okay, eat a vegan diet or eat a whatever diet or plant-based diet. Those are healthy diets. But sometimes we, we, the food often is raw. Uh, we may use intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating uh, and a whole host of things that we will uh, utilize in, in addition to uh, targeted uh, micronutrient supplementation and the like. Oh, that's exciting stuff. 
So somebody comes into you and, and they're having some of these symptoms and you have determined that there's maybe something wrong with their heart, something wrong in some other places. What, what does the food look like? Just talk us through the day. Yeah, so what we do first and foremost, uh, and, and, and it depends on where they are in terms of their food knowledge, we have people of the whole spectrum. Some people are already on a plant-based diet and may, may need to manipulate things more. Uh, but what we do first and foremost is discern where they are, where they are with the medication, what their diet, diet is like, what their diagnosis is. So for instance, someone who's a diabetic with heart disease, et cetera, um, you know, uh, they may be on a high dose of insulin or something uh, along those lines. Typically, we'll start them on a raw nutritional detox that consists of um, lots of salads. We use uh, green smoothies, which predominantly greens in them. Uh, there is some fruit in the smoothies. Uh, we use a gourmet raw uh, regimen. So we may have dehydrated foods, foods that are warmed up to 130 degrees. We have a sprouted rice uh, dish with herbs and seasonings. Uh, we make a number of wraps and breads. And we have our own nutrition center and restaurant on site. So we make all of the food from scratch. We make our breads and, and other things from scratch. Uh, and we've had, we found that we had to do that a long time ago in order to really know what's going on in our patients' uh, systems. Uh, so a lot of it consists of uh, dark leafy greens um, and, and a lot of other vegetables, uh, you know, raw broccoli and other cruciferous uh, vegetables, um, carrots, beets, um, uh, the whole run of things. And what we do is we manipulate these foods and they're in salads, wraps, and various other dishes. And we, we make gourmet raw dishes. We have a pizza, for instance. We have a beet burger sandwich. We have a, a Hulk burger sandwich, which is a patty made of lots of greens. Um, we have tahini wraps, uh, which the tahini is made of uh, raw coconut meat uh, with psyllium husk and uh, what bell peppers. And so that's a wrap. Uh, it has a nice texture and we add, you know, uh, we wrap it in sprouts. Uh, we've recently converted our kitchen to um, local, sustainably and organically grown produce, uh, which, you know, we've emphasized is a very important thing. We make a, for instance, the, the beverages consist of maybe a coconut water or we make a superfood water that consists of, you know, filtered water mixed with some cold pressed ginger, blue green algae, uh, and, uh, and some other super greens as mixed with it as a hydrating source. So there are a variety of things that we, we integrate in, with our patients. We have some uh, a raw vegan pecan pie uh, and some other similar desserts. So, so there's a whole host of things that we, we implement. And a lot of that's done, the gourmet part helps uh, with sustainability of the nutritional regimen. Because when you say raw detox and people say, well, okay, lettuce and tomatoes or whatever the case is, I can't do that. Uh, we have an integrated care clinic where patients will come into our clinic in addition to maybe getting some cardiac testing or results reviewed, et cetera. That clinic on a certain day of the week is where we sample food with our patients. We go over the nutritional regimen in addition to other uh, interventional modalities. Wow. So most of the plant-based cardiologists that I've had on the program don't talk much about raw food. You know, it's, you cook it, you eat it raw. It doesn't matter as long as it's plants and, you know, you're not using a lot of salad dressing and stuff like that, then that's good to go. So tell me about the benefits of more raw food and, and why this is so helpful. The raw food uh, reduces oxidative stress and inflammation, uh, in my opinion, at a faster rate than cooked foods. Um, there was some data 
that Jenkins had published and we referenced it one of our publications where he actually compared a raw diet. Now this is over a three week period of time, but, but in the acute setting, you wanna look at the rapid effects of the food. Uh, and so when you're looking at reduction of uh, inflammatory markers, so like in one of our publication, we saw a reduction of a cytokine IL-6 was reduced by 22% in just four weeks. Uh, C-reactive protein is an inflammatory marker reduced about 30% in just four weeks. And we know that we're seeing a weekly change in these things. We've seen, we've done spot tests and our next publication will actually demonstrate a weekly change in these inflammatory markers. Uh, and so you get very acute changes uh, in uh, uh, acute inflammatory conditions. So for instance, uh, I had a heart failure patient in the hospital and, and you know, she had a valvular dysfunction and a number of other things going on. Uh, and, uh, you know, I talked to one of my colleagues and recommended she get a, you know, mitral valve clip and, you know, he said, well, she's too far gone and, and, you know, we should just go with comfort care. And, and another colleague that does my electrical work, um, interventions, she didn't want to intervene. So, you know, she was on a, a heart failure medicine in, uh, called Milanone. We tend to give it to advanced heart failure patients alike. So, you know, there was a, you know, they were trying to get her out to hospice and, you know, out of the hospital. So, you know, the hospice team came and talked to her and she was, you know, a little bit distraught about her condition. I said, I'll tell you what, look, you know, we're going to detox you and we're going to get you better. And so we put on a raw detox. I put on strictly smoothies with super greens and, and certain things. We brought it from our restaurant and we custom made it. And so we uh, weaned her off the melanone drip in about five or six days. Her blood pressure improved, urine out improved, and urine output improved, and she you know, left the hospital. She actually got much better within the first few weeks of being out of the hospital. The point is that that raw detox intervention, that change could not have occurred had I just given her a regular vegan cooked food. No, she wouldn't have, she, she would have been in bad shape. She would have died right then and there. Raw made the difference. And there are many other situations where we've done that. So what difference does it make? It's a faster way of reducing inflammation. It's a faster way of reducing oxidative stress. Uh, and it's a better way of improving someone's condition if they're acutely ill in the hospital. There's clearly a difference there. I've had a patient on a ventilator once and you know, we detox it with raw food through a peg tube. Again, it reduces inflammation, reduces oxidative stress in a very rapid way. Uh, and it helps inflammation, cytokine storms reverse in someone who's acutely ill. Wow, that that is really exciting. You you make me want to go make a smoothie during the break, <laughs> but um, I'll probably talk to you during the break. That will be even more fun. And when we get back, I want to talk about inflammation. This is something that we hear that's connected with all sorts of disease processes, and I think most of us don't really understand what it is or how to deal with it. So everybody just stay with us through these messages from the good people at Unity Online Radio. Get yourself a little dose of inspiration. That's probably pretty healing too. And we will be back with more with Dr. Baxter Montgomery. And you can find him on um, at montgomeryheart.com right there on your computer. See you soon. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, 
a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. We're glad you found us. This is UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everybody. Now, it may have sounded odd to you when I said see you after the break, because chances are you're listening to this as a podcast, which we have been doing for very nearly 10 years. So you're either listening more than likely on Unity Online Radio or on one of the podcast apps. But these days, we're actually also doing this in video format and putting it on YouTube, on my YouTube channel, Victoria Moran NYC. So if you ever want to see what we look like <laughs> and, uh, and feel like you're a little bit more visually engaged with the Main Street Vegan podcast, you can uh, join us on YouTube and that would be cool too. So a couple of announcements of things that are going on in the world of Main Street Vegan. You know that Main Street Vegan Academy is just the coolest place where you can come now online so you don't have to go very far uh, and get your self-certified as a vegan lifestyle coach and educator. This program has also been operative for 10 years. Uh, 2012 was a big old year for mainstream vegan. Uh, and we're finishing up a class now, but we'll have another one this fall. So you can check that out at mainstreetvegan.net slash academy. We have some 560 graduates in 33 countries on six continents, doing a lot of good in the world. So do check that out. And a newer project that I'm part of is the Compassion Consortium, and that is CompassionConsortium.org. And this is an interfaith, interspiritual, interspecies center for people who feel that they want their soul to be nurtured in a way that understands their concern for all creatures and all beings. So we meet on the fourth Sunday of every month. So in February, that's going to be the 27th, 4 p.m. Eastern time. And we do all sorts of just wonderful things that you expect from a worship celebration. We've got music and prayer and meditation and all kinds of cool stuff. And our very special guest on February 27th is Dr. Milton Mills. So do check that out. Absolutely free, of course, but you do need to uh, register to get the Zoom link. Now let us get back to the heart of the matter with our wonderful guest, Dr. Baxter Montgomery. I said that you can find him at montgomeryheart.com. You can also find him on Facebook, Montgomery HW, that stands for uh, Heart and Wellness, and on Instagram, Montgomery Wellness. So you were talking earlier, Dr. Montgomery, about inflammation. 
And we just hear that all the time. And I think we're like, yeah, okay, what do we do? What's wrong with it? And what do we do to have less of it? So information is part of a, um, it, it's a description of, of the global aspects of uh, a, a set of um, chemical reactions, if you will, that typically is triggered through the immune system. So for instance, if uh, you have an infection, which is one way of triggering the immune system, uh, you know, a foreign agent enters a bacterium, a virus, and your immune system is alerted, and then uh, certain immune cells uh, address that, there's an direct cellular attack of the agent, uh, and then these immune cells will then send chemical signals for other immune system cells to then come and, and carry out different functions. Uh, part of this cascade of chemical signals result in um, the development of blood clots potentially. Say for instance, if there's a, a uh, blood vessel that's damaged, a certain type of chemical reaction may occur. Uh, certain cells may be invaded by this infectious agent. So some cells are killed. So there's an attack against you know, self to a certain extent. So there's a cascade of, of events or chemical reactions that are triggered by immune cells. And this could be triggered through an infection. It could be triggered through uh, damage to a blood vessel or a break in the skin. So for instance, if you have a cut, uh, then uh, that results in damage in microvasculature as well as other tissue damage. Also, you may have invasion of foreign uh, uh, entities, bacteria that lives on the skin that shouldn't be inside the blood vessels. So that will trigger a cascade of events. Uh, so inflammation is sort of the outward manifestation of uh, typically what's an, uh, an immune system reaction. Now, this immune system reaction can be triggered by a lot of things. We have what's called autoimmune uh, diseases, which where the immune system is falsely triggered uh, by uh, falsely identified self tissue as foreign. And so autoimmune, the immune system attacking self, hence autoimmune, uh, is another mechanism to that. Now, there, there are different ways we get autoimmune diseases, uh, but anything that can trigger inflammation uh, can cause, uh, excuse me, anything that can trigger the auto, the immune system can trigger this global inflammatory response, which is again, global description of uh, a set of chemical reactions that are released by the immune system. So for instance, if someone consumes uh, meat, uh, there are certain molecules on meat um, uh, that triggers inflammation. Uh, and so you can trigger uh, inflammatory reactions that way. Uh, if you cook meat, which most of the time people eat cooked meat, again, there's certain changes in the biochemistry of the meat that triggers these chemical reactions. And so inflammation is that global description of, of, of uh, this biochemical response, usually this triggered by the immune system. And so uh, oftentimes people live with a low level or maybe medium level of inflammation in the body. Uh, this may be due to autoimmune disease where their immune system is constantly revved up. It could be due to foods that they're consuming where the immune system's constantly revved up. It could be due to uh, maybe uh, other things they're ingesting, whether it's medications or other molecules that they're ingesting through their environment, maybe they're breathing certain things in, 
uh, allergens that come into the lung can trigger immune system reactions in the lung, trigger inflammation there. Uh, wear and tear, you know, structural damage to the knees or, or the joints can then trigger long-term uh, um, inflammation in those areas. So inflammation is kind of this global uh, description that tends to be related to cascade of biochemical reactions, uh, usually triggered by the immune system or some part of the immune system. So help us understand just for a lay person, when we think about typical heart disease, the coronary vascular mm -hmm. kind, we think it's clogged up. You know, some fat <laughs> causes something to go on in, in the artery itself or in the endothelial cells that's going to cause trouble. And so where does the inflammation come in? That's a great question. So uh, the simple way of understanding is that you, when you have an artery, a normal vascular structure, uh, it has an inner lining called the endothelium. These endothelial cells are very important. Uh, in terms of determining vascular flow. Uh, they determine the ability of the blood vessels to dilate, constrict. Our blood vessels, we think of them as pipes, and that's a reasonable analogy because you know, they allow flow throughout the body. However, they're much more complex than pipes. So for instance, our blood vessels are able to constrict and dilate based on the needs of that organ. For example, uh, if you're eating the blood vessels to the GI tract may dilate and you may have blood vessels in other areas constrict. Let's say you're in a car accident and you start to bleed out and your blood pressure drops, your blood vessels in the GI tract and the kidneys may constrict and may stay dilated for the brain and the heart because those areas are more important. So your body knows through this vascular system to preferentially shunt blood to one area or the other. So I, I, I say that to, to, to say that your vascular structure is very complex in, in this manner. So the endothelial cells play an important role there, and that's the inner lining uh, of the blood vessels. In the middle part, you have smooth muscles, uh, and of course, there are nerves that run throughout there. And of course, on the outside, is, is thought to best to think of as, as, as um, uh, connective tissue that kind of you know, uh, protects the vascular structure. So this vascular structure is really important. It's a dynamic structure. And when it's in its normal fashion, constrict and dilate appropriately based on the body's needs. So in the heart, uh, the heart, when it sends blood to the heart muscle, uh, which is unique to heart muscle than other tissues, the heart muscle tissue extracts about 95% of the oxygen that's delivered to it. So when blood flows through the arterial aspect of the, the, to the heart into the muscle, 95% of the oxygen extracted. So when it returns on the venous side, it's, it's very dark compared to in the other parts of the body, say leg or whatever, typically extracts about 75%. Uh, and so if you develop some you know, increased need of oxygen in the leg, the, the, heart, the leg muscles can extract just a higher percentage of blood. And the heart is different because the heart is always extracting nearly maximum amount of oxygen. So the only way to get more flow to the, the uh, excuse me, more oxygen to the heart muscle is to get more flow. So that's one factor that's important. But in terms of dealing with what happens in the arteries and plaque, uh, a simple aspect of it is that if you build up too much fat in the blood, too much cholesterol, the cholesterol gets deposited in certain areas. This cholesterol is carried by certain molecules, proteins, uh, there's small LDL proteins, a lot of different types of proteins, small LDL proteins are one type 
that we consider atherogenic. So for example, if you have a lot of cholesterol molecules carried in these small proteins, they then tend to uh, deposit within uh, vascular walls and build up more plaque. Plaque then brings in inflammatory cells because oftentimes inflammatory cells are also carrying these uh, 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 cholesterol molecules. So you get inflammatory cells that are building up in this plaque as well. So then that's where you start to get inflammation because you have an abnormal structure forming inside the vascular wall. And as that structure starts to develop, you can develop an instability. The more inflammatory uh, cells that are inside that plaque, the more likely that plaque is to develop and rupture. And when a plaque ruptures, exposes the blood flow to underlying inflammatory cells and chemicals that then forms clot formation, et cetera. Because if you have the lining of the wall of the vasculature rupture, that's a signal to the body that I have a damaged blood vessel. And true, the blood vessel is damaged, but it's not in damage in the way that body is designed to correct damage. So for instance, if you have a cut in your leg and you have a, a major severance of a large blood vessel, the body is designed to send a clot, form a clot at that damaged area to shut off bleeding. However, if you have a plaque inside the artery, then uh, the plaque ruptures. If you form a clot, you shut off flow. That artery is not severed, so you're not bleeding out of the artery. What happens that you, when you rupture a plaque on the inner side of the lining, it's a signal to the body that, hey, this is a damaged vessel, and the body does what it's supposed to do. It sends chemicals over to form clot, but it forms clot in that area. That clot obstructs flow to part of the heart, and there you have a heart attack. So what you're having is with plaque formation, it's an abnormal formation or process in the inner lining of the wall, and it sets you up for rupture on the inner lining of the wall, which then gives a inappropriate signal to the body to form a clot at a place where you don't want a clot to form. Mm. So when, when somebody is, is looking at all of this and, and trying to live like a heart healthy life, what, what do we do? We, you know, where do we start if, uh, you know, I suppose seeing a cardiologist if we're a certain age is probably a good idea, but the lifestyle, what does it look like overall? So the simple things you can do is you want to you want to live a lifestyle that's anti-inflammatory. So you want to decrease inflammation and decrease um, really decrease abnormal things coming to your body. So if you if I if I simplify it for for anybody, if you want to um, optimize your health, you want to minimize the amount of invasion that gets into your body. Invasion with abnormal food, food that's not intended or ideal for consumption, uh, bad air, whether that bad air is coming from uh, the tip of a cigarette or, you know, smog in the area or, or poorly ventilated room, uh, you want to try to just minimize, you know, abnormal things in your body. And if you go, you know, even broader, you know, you know, bad thoughts and things like that can also trigger inflammation. But keeping it simple and physiologic and, 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 uh, and related to food, optimal nutrition is a plant-based diet, you know, but it has to be a healthy plant-based diet. So that means there's going to be minimally processed. And we describe our regimen as minimally processed, whole food, plant-based. So the minimally processed part, even though it may not all be raw, you want to eat a, hard, a large percentage of the food that's 
not heated above say 130 degrees. Uh, and the food that's heated above 130 degrees, you want it steamed to boil. Uh, I don't recommend microwaving, frying uh, in oil, or sauteing in oil, or microwaving, or excuse me, grilling at high temperatures in oil. So we recommend if you stick, you know, steaming, boiling, I think is okay, but you want to eat a high percentage of food that's millimeter processed, that's either completely raw or not warmed above 130 degrees. Uh, you want to drink water. Um, we recommend alkaline water. Personally, I drink a water that's from two, uh, you know, miles deep. But 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 if you drink a good alkaline water, I think you're okay. Uh, there's some uh, of my colleagues in this space who recommend uh, distilled water. Uh, and the argument there is that virtually all the water has contaminants in it. Uh, so you want to, you know, maybe even go to the stream of testing your water or things like that. But getting a good, you know, either distilled water where you maybe add greens to it uh, to, re, uh, to add electrolytes is good. Uh, and the exercise, believe it or not, um, aerobic exercise is excellent. Anaerobic exercise mixed with aerobic exercise can be good. Uh, high intensity exercise. These things are uh, beneficial. They improve um, uh, mitochondrial function. Uh, they also, through sweating, help you uh, remove toxins from the body. Uh, in infrared sauna therapy, we use that with a lot of our patients. It has an anti-inflammatory effect. Uh, infrared sauna therapy uh, allows for the removal of toxin, but it also can have an exercise effect. Um, uh, having been in a sauna for as little as 10, 15 minutes, uh, there's data in uh, Japan and Finland showing uh, patients with cardiovascular disease do very well with infrared sauna therapy. It reduces the resistance of flow, so improves circulation. Heart failure patients get better. Patients with arthritis get better, so there's an anti-inflammatory component. So these are some basic things that you can do High raw plant-based diet, minimally processed whole food plant-based diet, fresh air, sunshine, exercise, keep your vitamin D levels up. Um, if you live in a northern uh, climate with little sunshine, you're going to supplement vitamin D. Um, in the U.S., we have vitamin D levels range from 30 to 100 nanograms per uh, ml. Being normal, we recommend at least above 50, preferably 75 or 80 nanograms per ml uh, levels for our patients. And so these are the things that we think that are beneficial uh, from the standpoint of decreasing inflammation, improving overall cardiovascular health. And if you have a diagnosed uh, condition, so if you have advanced heart disease, then I would recommend the diet being virtually all raw because that's going to give you a better chance of reversing things, at least all raw for a certain extended period of time. That's what we recommend for our patients. And infrared sauna is very beneficial for people with advanced heart disease. Wow. And it just sounds like such a beautiful way to live. It sounds like if you're 20 years old and as healthy as could be, it would just be a great way to live. Or, you know, you could yes. be 85 and dealing with stuff. And it's That's a right. great way too. So you mentioned not um, heating oils and cooking. What about oil in general? You know, there seems to be so much controversy because there does seem to be some good stuff from the Mediterranean diet. And then, you know, in other quarters, oil is, is the worst thing ever. I think people are confused. Yeah. Where do you come down on that? The, the simple argument is this. Um, we, we, we don't recommend oils. The exception would be in vitamin D supplements and there may be a few other rare supplements that are oil-based. And so because people have to 
supplement vitamin D because we're indoors and we're not getting adequate sunshine, you know, you know, we allow oil in that situation. So I guess you can argue there's some arguments in favor of oil, particularly with the vitamin D supplements and maybe other supplements as well. Um, but the overall argument against oil that I make for my patients is the following. Uh, if you take the purest oil, you know, first cold press, et cetera, et cetera, olive oil, whatever you want to, you know, describe, one, you cannot uh, be certain of the purity of the extraction. So was it heat extracted, was it chemical extraction, et cetera. Even though they label it first cold pressed, I'm not sure how well the labeling is regulated. But let's go beyond that. Let's say it's first cold pressed. Then you get to the point of storage. You know, again, once it's out of the olive, you know, the, the, the clock starts ticking. And what's the stability of the oil? Uh, now, if you're, you're pressing it from the olive to your tongue, okay, that's good. But you may as well just eat the olive. And so, so when you get to olive oil or any oil, that's shelf stability, it becomes rancid, it breaks down, and so on and so forth. And so there's a problem there that I see. So even if you're not cooking the oil, uh, the oil may have already been heated, uh, it gets subjected to air, uh, it gets subjected to oxidation. And so it can, and unlike say other process molecules, it may be the most lethal. Now, certain processed sugars may be as lethal, more lethal, but certainly extracted oils uh, are very, very problematic. Okay, got it. And I, I love how you explain that. Thank you. So your, your center there in, in Houston, where you help so many people, it's the Montgomery Heart and Wellness Health Center. So you do things other than just heart disease. And, and you know, because we've talked and my listeners know if they've been listening the past week or two, um, that my husband is in the hospital and he had surgery and he has a large wound. And you were talking with me a little bit before the show, what you would do with a patient like that, that's pretty far from the heart. What, what would somebody do who's trying to recover? Or you even talked about somebody who's looking to go into surgery or just all these different things that some of these protocols can help. Yeah, so, um, and as you uh, mentioned, you know, your husband has some issues with infection and, and the like. Again, you want to reduce oxidative stress because um, the potential risk of inflammation anywhere is the, the, the potentiation of in, uh, inflammation everywhere. But even if you have inflammation at one location, uh, you know, the body's working against that. So what you want to do is you want to reduce oxidative stress uh, and reduce inflammation. Oxidative stress is just, I like to describe it as uh, an imbalance of, of excess chemicals, uh, such as free radicals. Uh, compared to antioxidants. So, you know, free radicals come from different sources. Uh, our own body's immune system is a source of free radicals. They use free radicals to, to attack foreign agents such as infection. So the immune system will use free radicals, think of them like bullets, that find free radicals toward, you know, microbes that need to be killed or cells that are invaded by microbes that need to be killed. So free radicals play a beneficial role, but they need to be kept in check. What happens is someone who has increased free radicals, if the free radicals become unbalanced, uh, so you have excess free radicals compared to antioxidants, you then have oxidative stress. So these free radicals roam around, they damage normal tissue, normal cells, normal DNA and the like. 
So you can get to a point where you have other organ dysfunction. So somebody with an infection can have kidney dysfunction, have infection, have liver dysfunction. Now these organ dysfunctions may not be so severe that it shows up on the blood test, but at the biochemical level, the body's not functioning optimally. If the, if the liver is partly impaired by excess oxidative stress, that in turn impairs your immune system because the immune system, you know, helps the, you know, uh, is, is in part uh, uh, supported by the liver, large part, you know, vitamin D, uh, the initial oxidation of vitamin D is by the liver. If kidney function is impaired, then secondary oxidation of vitamin D is impaired. Vitamin D plays an important role uh, in the immune system, antibody formation of the liver, other protein formation of the liver. If you're trying to heal tissue, your liver is your manufacturer for most proteins, enzymes, and the like. Your coagulation system is supported by the liver. So increased oxidative stress can potentiate organ dysfunction. Organ dysfunction potentiates abnormal body function. And abnormal body function delays healing. So what do you do? Raw fruits and vegetables only. And, and someone who's sick enough to be in a hospital with an infection, inflammatory condition, I put them on raw fruits and vegetables only. That's green smoothies without the, the super fruits, maybe an apple mixed with other greens. Uh, I may do uh, lots of super green powders, blue-green algaes, um, uh, spirulina powders, powders or the like. Uh, they have salads, wraps, you know, gourmet raw foods to, to, to make it satisfying. But I wouldn't use any cooked foods. You mentioned Beyond Burger when we were talking. I wouldn't use Beyond Burger not to be negative about a certain brand. Uh, but there are certain plant foods that are, uh, in my opinion, as bad as animal protein. If you're eating, you know, processed plant foods of certain types, you may as well be eating a cheeseburger uh, to a certain extent. So when someone who's acutely ill uh, or almost acutely ill or getting ready to go through surgery, which could, you know, you know, put you at risk for being acutely ill, that's when we really emphasize a raw plant-based diet, 100%. It, this is so exciting to me, Dr. Montgomery, because you're talking about what can really help people who need it right now in an acute situation, but you're also suggesting just a beautiful, uplifting, enlightening way of life for everybody on earth. I hope everybody hears you. Listeners, MontgomeryHeart.com. Find this good doctor on Instagram, Montgomery Wellness. And uh, we'll have him back just as soon as he can find the time. <laughs> thank you so, so very much. This has been wonderful. Uh, to everybody listening, thank you so much for spending this hour with us. God bless you. Eat your veggies, mostly raw. <laughs> Take care, everybody. See you next time. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Liz Winter, and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. 
On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.